Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Growing up in middle school and high school, I was pretty much a solid B student, which was really frustrating to my parents and my teachers because I didn't like homework. Why should I work at home? And so what would happen was I would not do my homework and I would go to class every day because I was never allowed to miss class. And I would listen to the lectures or I would listen to discussion going on. And then it came time to show if I had any wisdom and I would ace the tests. Because I had good recollection and memory. And so if they said it, I would process it and remember it and then I could pass the test. Which is pretty infuriating to professors in high school. And so there were plenty of times where I would have hundreds for tests and zeros for homework. And my parents are sitting here and they're like, yes, yes, we remember. And I had one professor one time in high school who said, why can't you just do your homework? And I said, I don't need to. I aced the test. They don't like that, by the way. Don't say that. So today, we have yet another instructor telling us what we need to know. And why should we listen to James? We should listen to James because of who James is and what James has come to learn. James is a very important disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just a disciple, his brother. This is one of the brothers of Jesus. And even though Jesus originally set Peter above the other disciples as the leader. Once Peter is martyred for his faith, it will be James who will step up and lead the church of Jerusalem. And as he does this, he has gained incredible wisdom, not only from his time growing up with Jesus and learning from Jesus, being with him, but he has been with the disciples and the Holy Spirit is strong in James. And when James speaks to us, we probably should listen. And as he's saying today, wisdom is something vital to the Christian. Disciples must learn what God would have us know and apply it. Now, I wasn't kidding when I told the kids that sometimes it's so simple how we learn. We read the Bible. We can read it alone. We can read it in community. We can read it in small groups. We read it here collectively. If you come to worship, you will hear it taught, preached, sung, prayed. Scripture is one of the primary ways that God grants us divine wisdom. But there's more. We sit at the feet of teachers. We listen to those who are trained. We listen to those who have been called and set apart for this very purpose. But it's not enough. At the end of worship, I don't just hand you an essay and say, okay, write this out and we'll see who's good. Instead, we're called to bear fruit. And that the pursuit of wisdom will not only help us bear fruit, it in and of itself bears fruit. We have work to do to redeem the image of the Christian in this world. 
Far too many people hear that word and they associate it with hatred, exclusion, and God help us, hypocrisy. Because at some point, some Christians decided to tell people the untruth that there are no sinners in the church. At some point, we let it be perceived that we all have our act together, that we never make mistakes, that everything is pristine and perfect, and that is just not true. The church is made up of sinners. I'm one. And while I do hope to be perfected in love and I pray earnestly that God will help me overcome my sinful inclinations, I still don't get it right all the time. And I suspect that there are others in our midst that still have things with which they struggle, sinful inclinations of the heart that are still so strong, that threaten to push Christ out and overwhelm. And I suspect that there are always those of us who struggle with our own crosses that we bear. So what do we do? The first is that we seek to be transformed by God's knowledge. And sometimes that knowledge begins with us. Who are we? Not just collectively, but who am I as an individual Christian? Who am I and with what do I struggle? James tells us that if we seek to be disciples, that we must let go of some things and let God's wisdom and grace and love be manifested in ourselves. That instead of searching for earthly wisdom, which has benefits and strengths and, let's be honest, rewards, it can be an exclusionary thing. Well, you can't receive this diploma because you don't have that one. You haven't shown us that you have the aptitude on these tests to come here and learn this. Instead, God says, if you want my wisdom, I will give it to you. I do not care your age, your gender, your nationality, what language you speak, what clothes you wear. My wisdom is yours if you but ask. And what does that wisdom look like? For those of us who seek to be purified, to be cleansed of our sin, wisdom looks first like purity. Purity. What is that? I would argue that purity is not that kind of self-righteous piety that everybody thinks Christianity is talking about. Instead, it's about authenticity. To be pure as a Christian is to be authentic, transparent, to be honest, not only with ourselves, but with others, who we are and with what we struggle. Not to say, we have it all fixed here, and if you want to be fixed, you'll come here too. But instead to say, we are a broken people. Sin has fractured us in our lives. And we are seeking the one source that can fix us and help us to go on to glory. And that is God. And if you want to be part of that, then come and be part of this too. Instead, too often, we let this veneer be portrayed as if we are all shiny and pristine. And have been since coming right from the womb. But that is not authentic, and it doesn't ring true. And instead, it causes us to look dishonest, deceitful, and quite frankly, sinful. And so James says that first we must be pure, and that after that we will be peaceable. We will be those who strive for peace in a very combative world. We are not people who are itching for a fight who can't wait to contradict and then condemn. We are a people instead who spend our time looking for ways in which we can 
move forward together. We're not going to troll the internet and start fights. We're not going to blast people on Facebook. Instead, we're going to look for ways in which we can rejoice together, come together, grow together, and build the kingdom together despite our differences, despite our disagreements, that we can do this because God has willed it. It is divine wisdom and it is the way. That is what God is calling from us, to be peaceable, to be gentle, not weak, but gentle, to say things in a way that reflects love rather than righteousness that we bestow upon ourselves. How many times has someone said to you, I'm going to say it because it's true and I don't care who it hurts? That's not a godly attitude, and I've had it, I know. Instead, we speak the truth in love. Instead, we strive to tell somebody something that they might need to hear in a way that instead opens up for the possibility of reconciliation rather than feeling shamed, embarrassed, and humiliated. We don't call people out. We call people in. And we walk alongside them. And we take a moment to look and see if maybe those words were first meant for us. Before I help you with that speck in your eye, let me attend to the log in mine. And maybe we can help each other. That we do this with a spirit of gentleness rather than a sharp edge and a sharp tongue. Next, we look that we are willing to yield. Willing to yield. Does that mean we just give in? Absolutely not. We are not going to give in. But yield means that there is a time for us to step back. I had to learn this lesson myself recently. I had to learn this lesson because one of our church members came to me and said, I would like to have a women's retreat. Fabulous. That sounds great. And my first inclination is to say, I know exactly how we should do that. I know exactly what we should do. And I'm going to run this. I got this. I have to check my ego at the door. Because let me tell you something, yesterday from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, I was with 20 other people at this women's retreat, and it was so much better than it would have been if I had run it. It was. Because instead of it being the Sarah show, which quite frankly is not that good, it was a combination of the gifts and graces of two other women who I was able to step back to yield to them, let the Holy Spirit be present and manifest in them. And I was able to support them, encourage them, applaud them. When they asked me to bring my gifts and graces to bear, I was able to do that without overwhelming them because I had to yield to God in them. This is a difficult lesson for the church because there are some people who will step up every time. They will overstep every time in their zealousness. People like me, who would say, yes, I know exactly what we can do, but it's not about me. And I have to learn to yield to God and other people. Because it's not about me calling all the shots. It's not about the administrative board calling all the shots. It's about God calling all the shots. It's about God speaking to us through many different people, not just this vessel, but these vessels. And sometimes the voice that we need to hear is the one crying out from the wilderness. Sometimes that's the wilderness of the pew, and sometimes it's the wilderness of out there. And if I'm always having my voice dominate, then I am failing to yield to God's presence and power in another. 
And so for some of us, that is an incredible cross to bear, to not step in and step up every time, but to make space for God to be glorified in others. Because no, it didn't look like how it would look if I ran it. No, it didn't do everything that I would have planned, but it was better than that. The retreat was better because it wasn't about me and my way. It was about God and God doing things for 20 other incredible people. And instead of becoming a barrier, I got to be blessed because one time I successfully yielded. We are called to this, to take time to realize when are we being called to step up and when are we being called to step out in faith. Some of us yield the wrong way. We yield to the fear and the anxiety. We let it cripple us and we go, I can't do that. Of course you can. Did I not read somewhere that we have a God who is so powerful and gracious and strong that God can overcome the weakness in us? Every single one of you can do precisely what God has called us to do because God is in you and will work through you and will strengthen and empower you to do things that you would say, I could never do. That middle school and high school Sarah, if you had told her that she would be standing here right now in these shoes, she would have told you you were crazy. She would have told you that she can't do that. One, she doesn't get up and speak like this. And two, she has no power and authority and nobody's going to listen to her. And three, she doesn't have that kind of balance. (laughs) But she would have been wrong. And if that had been the Sarah that was allowed to continue, if other people in my church had not yielded to me, people who yielded a pulpit, people who yielded the ability to read scripture, people who yielded of their time so that I could step up and encouraged me and edified me and applauded me when I did, then I wouldn't be here. Because there were people who were willing to yield and let God be revealed in a really banal, quiet, afraid Sarah. We make a difference when we use the wisdom that God has given us to discern when we should lead and when we should allow others and follow God in them. Also, we will be full of mercy and good fruit. Of course we will be. Are we a merciful people? Do we grant forgiveness to others? Do we let people make mistakes and not hold it against them? You can't let her run the bazaar. Do you remember last year? Don't ever let her plan the meal again. Oh my gosh, I was sick for a week. These are not the way that we should be speaking about one another. Instead, we should edify people on the things that they do well, encourage them to explore the things that they have not tried, and pray to God that together we can overcome every obstacle and that through that we will bear fruit. We will do things in the pursuit of wisdom and fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus Christ that we never thought we could do. We will accomplish things because God is greater than our fear. And because we have been given a gift, we have been given grace and love and the gospel. And there is nothing in this world, no earthly knowledge that can overcome that. And so if we do not embody that, then we are squandering this wisdom and we are denying ourselves and this world the gifts of the kingdom. 
We are called to bear fruit. And here's the last part to the church. We will do all of this without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Ouch. Do Christians prefer certain people? Do we prefer some over others? Unfortunately, our history is filled with yes, we do. In fact, we prefer some to the exclusion of others. There have been so many times when the church of Jesus Christ across all denominations and across all time has failed to be an obedient church. We have not loved our neighbors because they didn't look like us. They didn't sound like us. They didn't act like us. They didn't work like us. They didn't have an education like us. Whatever the reason was, we were partial to those who looked like us instead of partial to those whom God loves. And since God loves all people, we should have no partiality. We should not have a preference system. Instead, we give because we have received. We love because we have been loved. We forgive because we were first forgiven. And none of those depend on any kind of criteria or category or box you check on a census form. God does not care about anthropology or sociology that creates categories and division. God is the ultimate equalizer, for God's love and wisdom raise us all up when earthly wisdom will tear us down. Are we hypocrites? We have been. When we say that we don't have a preference, we're being hypocrites. When we say that we aren't sinners, we're lying. And when we say that we have done enough, we are creating not just a hypocrisy. We are creating an image of Jesus Christ that is beyond profane. We have never done enough. Because when we've done enough, I think Jesus will tell us. I feel very confident that when our day comes and it is time for us to rest from our labors, Jesus will be the first person to say, well done, good servant. Enter into the kingdom. Until then, we are not finished. Because God has work to do in here, in here, in here, and out there. And so we can never be satisfied with, well, that was fine. See you next year. We continually grow and push and learn and urge and apply what we have. You know, all during seminary, three years, I'm trained and, you know, they think, okay, you're ready. Let's go. And then they put you into a church and you go, no. You didn't train me for any of this. You gave me a bunch of knowledge, but the wisdom that it takes to do this job comes from God and experience. And God graciously gave me the experiences that I need, and there were those in the church who graciously forgave me when I messed up. But the truth is that I am not finished, that I am not the clergy person that God has fully called me to be. My work is not over. And this is not yet the kingdom. 
And so every day, I have to open my Bible and read it for me. And then I come into my office and I read it for us. And then I prepare a word that is to edify us and encourage us and challenge all of us, self-included, to remember that we are not finished yet. And some of us are tired. Some of us are just feeling achy and broken. And some of us are thinking to ourselves, man, I wish it was over. But God can overcome that too. And if it is our earnest prayer that God would help us and grow us, redeem us, sustain us, then that is what will happen. Because I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus when he says, if you ask this in my name, I will do it. If you knock, my door will be open. If you truly want this and you want it for the right reasons, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God on high, then it shall be. And I believe Jesus. And so on the days when I think to myself, it would be really nice to sleep in. I would love to sleep in past six o'clock. I think about all of the children that come to this preschool. And that when I'm not up there to greet them in the mornings, that I lose out. And I think about the work of my office and the preparation that you deserve. What kind of statement am I making about you if I wait till Saturday night to write my sermon? What kind of statement am I making about Jesus Christ if I think that the only scripture I need to read is the little verses that you got? And the only prayer I need to do is the one that will bless this offering. I'm not giving any glory to God and I'm not doing what I am called to do for you. But just as I am called to these things, we are called to these things. We are all called to be searching for God's wisdom, to be asking to be made perfect in God's love so that we may love others. Because the biggest sin, the biggest hypocrisy, the biggest heresy of the church is that we have not loved as we have been loved. We have denied people. There was a branch of early Christianity called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed that they were the best Christians because they had the best knowledge. They were the most wise. They had been given the gift of wisdom and the rest of us hadn't. And so they were higher. And the church said, no, you are wrong. That is a heresy and we will cut it out and the Gnostics died off. And they didn't die off because some people wanted their seat of power back. They died off so that nobody here today could say, my wisdom makes me a better Christian than you. They died off because it is not the will of God for people to lord wisdom over you. Everything that I have been taught by seminary, by my colleges, by God, by the church, by the Virginia Annual Conference is meaningless if I can't use it for this. And the only way I can give glory to God for the wisdom I have is by using it here and here. My learning is not finished. You continue to teach me. You continue to challenge me to make me better. It is time that we do this every day for one another. 
And eventually, as the will of God is lived out, as the Spirit moves in our midst, more and more people will say, I want a piece of that. I want to be known and loved and valued. And they will come. And they won't come because of how amazing we look and sound. They will come because when they come here, they feel God in us and through us. And they want to serve God side by side with us. This Lent, as we go forward, it is not too late to look and see where we need wisdom, who we are and what we are called to be as individuals and as the body of Christ. And I pray that alongside me, you will seek to grow, that when Easter comes, we will not only celebrate the empty tomb, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we will celebrate a renewal of ourselves. That God has given us something new, some new kernel of truth, some seed that was planted years ago will bloom and bear good fruit in and through us. May this be done in accordance with God's will for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.